Broadcasting live from the hive, this is the Monstrous Women in the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Taya and I'm joined by my bees, Mila, Louisa, and Zeba. And this is our last episode of the month covering the theme lore and horror. Before we get into it, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcast app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at the Monstrous Women in Podcast. Set in 2019, 27 years after the first film's events, the 2021 Candyman takes off with Anthony, an artist, and his high-flying art curator girlfriend Brianna as they move into a new apartment. Brianna's brother tells them about Helen Lyle, the focus of the first film, and her attempt to sacrifice a baby before killing herself. Anthony and his girlfriend mostly ignore the situation, but Anthony is desperate for new inspiration and stumbles across Billy Burke, who tells the lore of Candyman. Anthony, feeling renewed with inspiration, creates a piece based on the lore to display in his girlfriend's gallery. While the piece is met with negative reviews, Brianna's co-worker and his girlfriend return that night to use the piece to summon Candyman. Initially dismayed by the negative reception of his work, Anthony soon finds himself more confused and scared by his vision's appearance and past. Cut off his arm and jam a meat hook in the stump. They smear honeycomb from the nearby hives on his chest and let the bees sting him. A crowd started to form to watch the show. The big finale. They set him on fire. And he finally dies. But a story like that. A pain like that. Lasts forever. That's Candyman. Why is the only point for the catch-up Yaya about to turn me straight? <laughs> I mean, there's a scene where he, like, had his shirt off. And I was like, ooh. But I, I had a moment where I was like, wow. Like, that is truly a beautiful human. They also put him in great clothes, though. And that that made it even better. I love a guy with good shoulders as well. And oh my lord, does he have good shoulders. I know I was attracted to Tony Todd in the first one, and we never even got to see him be a human. And so this, where I'm like, oh, you're just a guy and a murderer? Okay, say less. <laughs> I just realized that he's the other person in that uh, that Black Mirror episode with the video games where they fucking video game his characters. No, he's not. <gasps> oh, I have to rewatch it. I do not remember. He's like the rich one in the episode who's like, we got to keep doing it. Nothing ever felt that good. But to be fair, I don't remember the other guy as well. I only remember the the on screen, the um, their video game characters. Fucking. Fellas, is it gay to like your friend in the video game? Yeah, it is. It is gay and you should do it. There's no philosophical debate about that. It's fucking gay. You are a homosexual. I played GTA the other day for the first time, and I follow, I followed all the laws. I drove regular, I stopped at all the lights, I drove to the strip club, and then I tried to get a girlfriend, and she wasn't interested. Hey, I'm sure you have more game than that. Well, I bought lots of lap dances from her and gave her lots of compliments and money, but she didn't was want to come home with me. Was she in the strip club? Yeah, she was a stripper. She rejected me, I went home and got, like, violently high. In the game, you can get high in the game. We know it happened, <laughs> like... <laughs> I was like, fuck, I couldn't even get a GTA girlfriend. <laughs> this episode, our Witch of the Week is Sosa.tr. 
And they said, can't wait to hear your thoughts on Candyman, moon smiley face emoji. Well, you're in for a treat because that is what today's episode is going to be about. Thank you so much for your support and for leaving us a comment. Friendly reminder that we are also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you can gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you can hear uncut discussions for our main episodes. And for £5, you get all of that plus a bonus episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please support us. Okay. So I will say the first review that I read was the, I think it was Vox who did it or Vulture, the Vulture interview. I read it before I saw Candyman in theaters. I saw it the very weekend it came out. So it was like the very, very, one of the very, very first reviews that came out was the Vulture interview. I really wish I hadn't read that like before going into it. I think like it like bummed me out. I was like, oh man, like from reading that alone and not having seen it, I imagined that the issue with it was that it was just shallow. Like it was just like a shallow horror movie wasn't scary enough, didn't make use of the opportunity to do with the lore of Candyman what could have been done to make the commentary that could have been made. So I was like, that seems to be what this reviewer is saying. And I was like, okay, worst case scenario is that like, it was just a missed opportunity of a remake. And that would be a bummer. But when I saw it, I was like, I could not disagree more. Like, at least with that particular point. There are issues that I had with it that were not the issues. Wait, what was the point they made? Basically, what I got from it is that they thought that the original had more, that the original was better and had, like, did more with the lore, did, like, made a better, made a better, objectively better horror film than the remake. And to me, I'm like, it doesn't matter about, like, my fan of, like, what makes good horror and bad horror and classic and scary versus not scary, the original's a fucking mess. And I can't, like, I can't, like, it's, it, it, it's inception, the root, the core of it is problematic. And I don't think that, like, I don't, I can't imagine any remake made in our decade that, like, could not have improved upon, like, what is at its root, like, a problematic story. And so, like, and so that is when I think I dismissed whatever she had to say after that, because I'm like, the original's not good. I also read, like, a few negative reviews, which I think were critical of this, of this film, this 2021 version of Candyman, and I just kind of thought, I don't think y'all are being fair, because whatever is wrong with the sequel is still because of the original. You know what I mean? Like, I think the sequel can at times be the spiritual sequel, as it's so called. I don't think it's a remake, and I'll get into that. But, like, I think the spiritual sequel is messy because the original material was messy. And I think that they had two really big tasks with this film, which was correct the wrongs of the first one and like acknowledge that Helen was a problematic character and everything that went wrong there and and then also change the lore into Candyman doesn't kill like black people from the projects he kills people who committed the racism like racist people he kills racist people because he was originally um a tortured and murdered slave Right? And that makes more sense. And I think they did the first bit well in that they acknowledged the legacy of the first film and tried to, like, say it was problematic and whatnot. But I don't think they did the second bit very well, which was change the lore, only because it was hard to change the lore because if you're going to use... If you're not going to do a remake and you're going to do a sequel, then you are kind of stuck with the original lore, which is so, so deeply flawed 
that any kind of transition into making Candyman a symbol of vengeance rather than a symbol of like um, what came to be understood as like black on black mythical crime, right? In the first film. I don't know if it quite landed for me because it was kind of at the expense of logic. I mean, I prefer that that interpretation, but like it didn't work for me necessarily because it was like, it was just very rushed. Like all of a sudden we had, like our only understanding of why Candyman was a symbol, why Anthony as Candyman would have been a symbol of vengeance as opposed to all the other ones was simply because we had Burke, this like equally traumatized from youth figure being like, you will change it. Like, we didn't really get any other compelling evidence for why this Candyman would be the one who didn't kill black people, but would be a symbol of, like, an agent of sort of empowerment or something. So for me, it didn't really work in that way. But I don't fault the sequel for that. I don't fault it for its, like, pacing or anything, because they had two really big tasks. And if they were going to do a sequel from the original, then it's kind of the original's fault, because it set up that whole problematic myth of killing black people as opposed to white racist in the first place so that's kind of what all the critics for me missed who had negative reviews is that like you're blaming the sequel for something that the original set up and if anything you should go at it at the angle of like why didn't they just remake it which i think they probably should have i definitely agree a lot with what you said louisa my thing was partly the whole thing that billy burt comes up with doesn't make sense in the way of well, he's still the person who is sawing off his hand, which that was something in the original that they did to Candyman and part of why the lore started. But he does everything to Anthony's body, like in terms of putting that hook violently into his arm. And the only thing that we have is he sets him up also to be gunned down by the police. And now he's gonna be a protector of black people. That does not make sense. In addition to that, I actually thought the review... Some parts I really agreed with because when I watched this, I did not see Nia DaCosta's voice in it at all. She has like her first film, Little Woods, is so different from this one. And when you watch this, this feels like a monkey paw film. And I hate for things to feel like everything in a production company makes is just the same thing. But in a way, this is about to be the hottest of takes. As much as I thoroughly enjoyed us and respect him as a creator and a director, an actor, Anthony's character sort of feels like Jordan Peele to me. If you think about the way that like when Get Out came out, because when Get Out came out, I think people put these high expectations on him to be like the greatest black filmmaker of horror. And everything that he's made after that, people just have not loved as much as Get Out. So it's like this infinite chase to like continue to make stuff and it's landed him at Candyman and like the situation in the film, feeling like, oh, he was supposed to be the next great black hope of art in Chicago and renew all this interest in the city and his community. And it doesn't happen. Like when he makes the Candyman portrait, it had negative reviews. And that's exactly what happened with this movie. Um, so I feel like in a way, like it must have been, has like a weird relatability factor of like how things are never going to be as good as that one thing that maybe blew you You're up. You're like chasing the dragon um, kind of thing. Yeah, so I feel like this just feels so similar in terms of like the race horror to all the other monkey paw films to me, with the exception of Ice, that I didn't feel Nia DaCosta in it. I was like, this feels like Jordan Peele. And I have no issue with his work. I think he's a great director. I think all of his work has been good. But 
critically it has not all been received the same way that Get Out has. Even like the Twilight Zone and stuff that he made did not like go pick up a ton of awards. And so this feels very much like an artist continuing to chase that high of like the first really big thing that they make that makes everyone think that they're incredible. I thought that storyline was very relatable but I don't think they explored it very well because the pacing of this movie was so off. We go very quickly we don't even really get to explore Anthony and his girlfriend's relationship that much. Everything just feels rushed to me and honestly I think they could have dealt with another 30 minutes in the movie to flesh stuff out a bit more and it would have made it a lot better. Like maybe they could have came up with a different way for the lore maybe they could have thought of a different way to end the movie. I think that this way gives a lot of potential for sequels, but I don't think that was necessarily the best idea. I think the best way that they could have ended this movie was with some sort of helping Anthony not to become the Candyman and dealing with the trauma that it caused the community in a productive way, rather than like, we're going to traumatize and harm another man's body to create a protector of the community. There was also some weird scenes in which it sounded like they were equating like black people in gentrified neighborhoods with the gentrifier that and that was weird to me. Yeah, there was some muddily race stuff in it that just didn't feel right. First thought I had after I finished it was that like kind of like what you said Louisa a lot of the reviews are not being like fair and I think that's like Ty you're saying the high expectation on this film the like main part of film that maybe people should rightfully like you touched on their time we'll get into later is like the ending that's the most like disappointing or controversial part of the film but what's weird is that that end felt so out of place in the film to me because what like stuck out a lot more was this sort of like art world expose that they were doing but I found it really significant that Anthony is an artist the fact that he he uses the law in his art and then it receives bad reviews you even have that art critic that white art critic basically go at him for like exploiting black trauma and poverty like is this film a critique of that how the function of art ultimately has like an end and it can't really be used in that way is it like this weird self-aware thing where the filmmakers are being like what kind of political film can i make when you're appealing to a white sensibility <laughs> i think it was definitely attempting to do that it was like derailed to this art critique the end came and i was like wait i almost forgot about candy the Candyman law i was so like distracted by that yeah Okay, I was like gonna tie this back to like how I interpreted the lore, which I think is different than how a lot of people watched it. So like, if I like read it wrong, then like, let me know. But like, I think so like with the source material of the original, it is supposed to be a, a white person's breaking down on why black on black crime happens. Like it's, it's, it's there, like, tr they're trying to parse through and empathize with like the conditions of living in a project. I think that this is a black person's interpretation of black and black crime, which is why I did think it did the best it could with the original story. Because like, while I did expect it to be this sort of like racist revenge story where Candyman goes after white people. And I do think that's how it was marketed and how the trailer made it seem and the, all the hype around it made it seem like, okay, well, there's white people living in Cabrini Green. So it must be white people who are dying. And this can just be like cathartic. And we watch Candyman kill white people. I think it is still a story about black on black crime and it's still a story about like violence in the hood because Candyman is a metaphor for like 
the pervasiveness of violence in the black community. It still has to be that. They can't like that. And I think that lore is not inaccurate, right? There is a pervasiveness of violence in black communities and what Candyman is supposed to represent. And I think that this updated lore did really well by adding different iterations of when Candyman has come back in different forms. Yeah, Billy Burke, especially like his his story about being a child and seeing Candyman and watching the police enter and all of that. It's like, to me, that was very poignant in that like, it's such a complicated thing to unwrap about like why violence happens in these communities and how do you explain it to people in there and why you don't call the police. This is a story about why you don't call the police ultimately, right? Because like we cannot, it's too horrific to name that the conditions of poverty, that the conditions of racism, the conditions of white supremacy and violence have caused us to be in situations of desperation where we turn on each other, of, of situations where like, we we're, we're like, should I call the police on my neighbor? No, I'm not going to, it's just Candyman. Like that, like to me, that is like the beauty of like oral history and lore, especially that, the, that when we talked about the first one, I'm like, they missed the opportunity to talk about why people, like why black people talk about things in this way as if they're imaginary or as if like, we, we need, like we need to explain to children why death happens around them because the original story is true. Candyman is based on a true story of a woman who called the police and they did not come. And she was murdered. And and like, and that was a real story of black trauma that was exploited by a white short story writer, by a white filmmaker. And we watched them try to parse out, like literally it was based on a headline. Like he read like one article and literally named her after that character, like literally exploited. And then back to this critique of art point. And this is something that I noticed in like, she's gotta have it as well. Like her as an artist, her art is not good. I don't think his art was good. I think the mirror was really interesting and I don't think that people got it, but his art, like what his girlfriend said, she's like, it's just violent. And she's right. Like he did, because he grew up in Cabrini Green as a child and his mother quickly removed him from that environment. And then if we're going to talk about what is the role of the black gentrifier, right? And like, is it, is it just about class? Is it just about that the property values in this area have gone up? Is it about where I spend my money as a black person? Is it a, like the, the building was built, somebody's got to move into it, might as well be a black person. Like all of these things are really complicated and could not have been parsed out in two hours is like my opinion on the matter. Like there is a conversation to be had about black artists exploiting black pain for white audiences. There is a conversation to be had about the role of wealthy black gentrifiers in a neighborhood and where and their authenticity and where they come from and what they add to the community and where they're spending their money and how it, if it's helping anybody at all or if art in a gallery is helping anybody at all. And I think it was a, a film trying to have all of those conversations at once. And there were points where I'm like, they really hit it actually. And there are just points where I'm like, you didn't have time. It's just so, it's so much to unpack. I think like Anthony being, I think it says in that review, but basically like Anthony is kind of shown having the same perspective as Helen, 
which I thought was weird because he should have some memory of growing up there but like to see him in like this tourist role doesn't necessarily make sense to me but I think if this film would have came out when it was supposed to it actually probably would have landed a lot better because there was that time last summer where every black poet and author and writer and crit art person was making extremely violent poems about diasporic poetry and I think we talked about this like in the group chat where me and Zabel were like everybody is making a book about race everyone is deciding to make like a race podcast or make race-based photography there's like a certain level between where things go from being like educational and turning into like exploiting black pain but I don't think black artists are like exceptional to exploiting black pain like I think that like like absolutely use your art to sort through your trauma and put it out in the world but there I can tell the difference between a piece of art that's used to sort out a, a person's trauma that they have experienced and somebody who's banking on good timing and something being topical and a black a black artist can absolutely exploit black pain like 100 percent I think that's obvious, but there was definitely like, I remember when I watched the last season of She's Gotta Have It and she had that like controversial painting in it where like some of her friends stopped being friends with her over it. And I was like, I mean, they're not wrong. <laughs> like the reason why she made it in that show didn't feel like she made it to like deal with her own feelings. I mean, we talk about things like that all the time. Like uh, uh, them, what is that? Lena, literally anything Lena Waithe touches is like... <laughs> It's like tra black black trauma made by a black person for white people and to make money like it happens turns to black trauma porn. I think a creator who does an excellent job at not doing this is Issa Rae, my queen. There's so much content that you can make around black joy, but there's this need to continue to make like movies about slavery or rape or racism that people continue to do. And it's not just black creators. It is white directors and writers as well but like the need to show black pain to express art and shock people is so disturbing <laughs> and it's very prevalent throughout multiple industries so many different things that i would see on tv and i'd be like well this is really strange like even when we watched the craft and we were like everyone has fleshed out storylines and rachel truths is that she's being traumatically racistly bullied like it's always like this display of uh black pain and trauma in order to be like racism exists and i'm like we don't necessarily have to see black people being violently discriminated against or brutalized on camera to know that something happened historically I feel like we said this before in another episode, I can't remember what it was, but I felt like it's poignant to read the same sort of quote. And you also mentioned like Jordan Peele and Monkey Paw Productions and stuff. And yeah, I do really like Jordan Peele and like some of his work I've really loved, but I hate that when we talked about it before, how it spurred on the whole race horror genre. And I, I think that there was this one article, I've read it before again on this podcast, but it might've just been an extended episode. It might not have made it in, I can't remember. Uh, Jason Okunde wrote an article for The Guardian and he kind of um, quoted this other author, Brandon Taylor, who said like, basically, how do you make a horror about something that's still happening? Like, you know what I mean? And horror is about accessing like fears and what might happen in society might be racism, which is why Get Out, like there was a place for that with Get Out and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is like taking something very like real and making it so literal in horror and making that the horror and like trying to make it a metaphor when it's not a metaphor. It just doesn't really work in horror. Horror is about like a kind of unknown, unseeable, deep psychological psyche. And that's what's fun about it. But I do think Candyman is that. Like I think 
Candyman is a successful metaphor. Like, I don't need to literally see the police shoot somebody. I, but I do think that, like, psychologically, if we're talking about, like, the tools of horror, Candyman is 100% a monster based in subconscious fears and, like, literal violence. You know what I'm saying? I think so. But, like, I like I agree with you. I liked the whole, like, iterations of Candyman interpretation that they did. I just think that they did it at the expense of logic because they had too much to contend with with the first lore in, of the original. I did not like what you said, Taya, Burke's character, how he turns into some random madman who perpetuates violence against another black man for the sake of reenacting the myth. But I don't think it's random. I think the metaphor is, like being driven mad by the conditions of living under racism. Like, it, I don't think the iterations are to tell us that it's not random madness of this one guy. It's been many people driven mad by living in those conditions. Everyone in the neighborhood had a, an agreement that they essentially wouldn't talk about it. And there hadn't been any, like, issues of violence since then. And Candyman hadn't returned because no one had summoned him. But Burke is going out of his way to sacrifice Anthony's body in order to make a whole new lore. But I think Burke is Candyman. Like, Burke is more Candyman than Anthony is. But why didn't Burke become Candyman then? Yeah, like, if you want to be him so bad, then be him. Because, like, the connection with Anthony and the baby didn't feel strong enough to me. Candyman, the oogie boogie spooky thing that lives behind the mirror is, I think... And the thing, the thing that people talk about is a thing separate from what Candyman represents. The iterations were not people possessed by Candyman. They were people driven mad like Burke. Like that was the point is that they shot a per, an innocent man who was like giving people candy. They shot an innocent man who people thought was being possessed by Candyman. I'm, I'm saying that the people who are driven mad by living in the conditions, that is what's so brilliant about the metaphor is that it's not a supernatural thing that possessed somebody. It's real people committing acts of violence being pushed to the point of madness. For sure, but I just feel like that would have been landed better if they didn't have, at the same time, Anthony becoming slowly possessed by Candyman. Like, because I think they're showing that is a possession narrative. The first film messes it up because the first film has a white woman and so it doesn't quite land as well because she's not driven mad by racism. She's basically chosen by Candyman. That's the problem with possession is that like, that was our beef with the first one is like, possession is too much of a cop out because like what you're trying to say, violence happens because of circumstances. But instead what you said is that, pe is that people get possessed, literally possessed by a spirit of violence. Yes, I guess all I'm saying is race with horror, very sticky business, hard to do, right? You have so much to contend with. Like you said, they shoehorn too much into this. Uh, I mean, if you have to link to a page at the end of your movie where you have academics all discussing the film and dissecting the film, then maybe you put too much in it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, if I have to, if I can only understand a film and all its complexity and, like, everything it was trying to do, only if I sit down with Tanana Reevedu and have her talk about it with everybody else. There's a lot of people on that panel, but I just know Tanana Reevedu because we've talked about her before. But, like, if, if that's the case, then I think maybe it's a bit too much in the film and I think they could have chosen, a, like, just focused on one. Like you said, I think Tyler like not having Anthony be Candyman, maybe Burke being Candyman. I don't really know what to do with it. I just know that it was good up until a point until I was just like, mm, it's weird now. And even like throwing in his girlfriend's like history of her dad committing suicide because he had, was it schizophrenia? I don't know, but they said in like, it was a comment and in, in their like round table that they had, it was a comment on like male suicide, particularly black male suicide. I'm like, that's great, but there wasn't enough time for this. Yeah. I feel like rather than Burke being this figure of like, 
endless cycles of violence driving you mad. I think Candyman, like it should have stuck with Candyman as that sole figure. And then you said, David, there's maybe some like, like comparisons between the two, but I feel like Candyman, does he have a name? Like the original man? Yeah, he does. I forget. Him? He was an artist as well. And comparing the commentary on the art world with the fact that he was an artist, there seems to be like a strong link between endless violence and trauma, which he couldn't capture in art because it was like art was working within an oppressive system. But then also it feeds into like how in the end, like you could say Candyman becomes a figure of vengeance, which is sort of continuing on that pain, whether you see it as empowering or as like problematic as just like continuing on violence, even if it's against your oppressors. I did like to see him take those cops out. That was very cathartic for me. Sure. (laughs) But it was just awful after his forcibly cut off and he was possessed and it's against his will. I think that's the problem that he was another unwitting victim. I I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just thought it was weak. I just, I didn't like Anthony as it. just thought it was really rushed and I don't know how they made that leap. The end product, great. The execution, not so great. It's kind of a side effect of like the fact that I feel like people don't take things in good faith anymore. Like... (laughs) I sent you guys like a thread on Twitter about it earlier where people were saying like you can tell people who are very active online because of the way that they present an argument is so there's no way that you can find a loophole and be like gotcha you're problematic <laughs> it's like this film has like sort of the same effect of where it was like very explicit about what it meant even as in like saying here's something else you can watch to describe every point in the movie to like check all these boxes to be like there's no way you can misinterpret what we were trying to do at the same time I think because it is so obvious in some of the things that it's trying to do but also makes so many reaches in terms of like trying to cover mental health and suicide and gentrification and violence in black communities that it doesn't do anything well because it's just trying to do too many things to the point where like when I watched the end I was like I'm not really sure how I'm supposed to feel. It was definitely fulfilling to watch him save Brianna from that situation and kill those cops. That was definitely satisfying, but I was also like, but his life is fucked. (laughs) Like he got murdered and possessed. How is this any like vindication? She like lost her partner and has to deal with the trauma of watching his arm get sawed off in front of him and seeing him be shot to death in front of her. Also more police come. More police come to that situation. Who are they going to blame? I don't know. It just doesn't seem like she's going to get out of that to me. And I feel like sometimes in these movies that are trying to do race and horror, they don't really think about how they're putting too much trauma onto the black female characters. Because Brianna got so much fucking trauma in this movie. I'm like, she's already dealt with the fact that she saw her dad commit suicide. And we give her, watch your boyfriend be murdered by cops in front of you by being shot to death. And watch his arm get sawed off. And I'm like, how on earth does this feel like it's not extremely traumatic for her? And also, this is fucked for Anthony because he didn't do anything. I mean, it was just, sure, he made a shitty art piece that was kind of exploitative. But I think that that was the point is that like, in this instance, like Get Out is different because like, we want him to win. We're rooting for him. We, in the end, he does win. And we're like, yeah, he won. Good one point for black people. But I think in like the ending of this, because it is about like pervasive systematic issues. It's about gentrification. It's about black on black crime it's about all kinds of violence and like the art world it's about things that are continuing it makes sense to me that anthony was like eaten alive it makes sense to me that he doesn't survive it because like so many black people don't survive it 
But Brianna, the fact that they just let her walk, like run away, I'm like, oh, she's going to jail. Like there was no doubt in my mind. I just feel like it doesn't necessarily make sense because of how rushed everything is in the end. It doesn't land. Everything just happens so quickly that we don't get to really examine everything. We see the bee sting like bubbling and oozing and all of that throughout the movie. But like the jump from that to him being like incapacitated and the thing is just so abrupt. And like him accepting his fate, like after he talks to his mom and pretty much like not doing anything to stop it seems so out of character for lore films in particular and lore films so often like they fight to like the last minute and also I just feel like the Billy Burke character kind of ruined everything for me it just I get what they were trying to do with that character but like weird mess in my opinion too much was trying to be done with one character that we didn't really have a lot of background about besides the parts of the lore that he told and also like the connection between Anthony being the baby that was almost sacrificed. Don't feel strong and any stronger than Billy watching his sisters and everything get murdered and all that version of the Candyman lore. They don't feel that different. There was like no contact of like the baby being marked by Candyman or something like that that would make him like he has to be the vessel. I thought that was implied that like Candyman was coming back for him. I didn't feel like that was necessarily implied. And also the fact that he like lives his life up until this point completely fine. Because he stayed away from the area. Like the second he went back to the haunted ground, he was haunted. Yeah, I don't don't know. Because it feels like the only reason why all of this happened is, yeah, he got stung by B, but because they summoned Candyman through the thing, through his exhibition. He like laid dormant until he was summoned. If Billy had this desire to keep Candyman alive and thought they deserved Candyman, they needed him, couldn't he have just done the same thing to himself? Because he had some connection to prior, like a prior appearance to him. It just felt like very sloppy and rushed. Like I appreciate the effort to be able to bring back in things from the first movie, but the first movie was, in my opinion, not that great. So bringing back in those like muddled parts made this even more confusing. The problem I have is really the intersection between Burke and Anthony. Like, that's where it just really falls off the mark for me. It's, like, fine before that. Could have been fine after. Don't know why we had this intersection between the two. I almost feel like it'd be better if he was just not there and Anthony became possessed fully. Or maybe Anthony's not possessed and it's not, he's not Candyman. I don't really know, but I just don't understand Burke's function in this film. If it was inevitable for him to come, if he came back to those grounds, it was inevitable for him to turn into Candyman or to be possessed, then it didn't make sense that Burke had such a heavy role in basically initiating everything. Because Anthony could have just been like, I, I'm gonna, you know what, I'm gonna embrace my destiny and I'm gonna become Candyman, but I'm gonna be the vengeance figure. He kind of chose it at the end. Only after he's murdered. <laughs> He's like, might as well. Well, like, he easily could have just, like, haunted and, like, not done what, like, he'd not been an agent of vengeance. But, like, it was a bold assumption on Burke's part to think that he would just go along with it. Remove Burke. I wish he had just chosen it for himself to be like, this is going to happen. And he, maybe he didn't need to die through shootout with Brianna and that weird... It's just the ending. I have a problem with the last 10 minutes. We talked about this on the Get Out episode, how much we appreciated that there was no like police brutality at the end and that we just assume that he walks away. And I think this could have done without that. It just added a layer of trauma that I certainly didn't want and I didn't expect coming into this. And when Burke explained his plan, I was very confused. 
um, on why he would want to enact that type of trauma onto Brianna and Anthony. It just felt unnecessary and pretty much like the same issue that we had with the first film of like perpetuating racist violence on other black people because Burke's problem is with the Chicago PD and the police being brutal. So like using another black man's body in order to have that violence perpetuate onto him and be like, but he's going to come back and be our savior felt very strange. I don't think we're supposed to root for him though. Like I I don't think we're supposed to agree with his plan or want it to happen. You said he's just driven mad and everyone's consumed the life, but I mean, I get that, but I also think that's too easy for me. <laughs> Sorry. Too easy of an explanation. This might be getting like a little too meta, (laughs) but I do feel like it lays so much groundwork for like critiques of using black trauma in art that in the end, I don't know whether this was conscious, but choosing that ending, excessively violent and brutal ending, is it not like fulfilling the very thing it's critiquing? Or maybe it's like that's a comment on like these endless cycles of violence that feel perpetual and inescapable but then even if that is so it's still and then with the reviews it got it's even more meta because it's literally like they're literally being like every time black people try to talk about black on black violence that white people don't understand it every time we try to depict violence white people don't understand it and then when they try to depict violence all the reviews were like why wasn't this like get out the sequel's messy and we don't have clear thoughts on it because the fucking first one was messy and it should have just been a remake and then we all could have got if we just remade Candyman how and had him kill the racist we would all be fine right now but instead we had a fucking sequel to the original and now we have to contend with the fucking myth again it was a really good effort and if they were to remake it, I'd love to see what they do to Helen. I would love to see what they do to Helen. Because like, I rewatched the original a little bit before I went to see it in theaters. Like, or I actually didn't. I just walked in on the ending my roommates were watching because they'd never seen it. And I was like, oh yeah, they all go to that lady's funeral. Like she was queen of the ghetto. It's the most disgusting ending I've ever seen. They worship that white woman for eternity after that. But they even had that in this film low key because she was like, they brought back that one, I can't remember her, the name, but she, they brought back Anthony's mother to be like, she saved you, everyone got the myth wrong. And I was like, what? You're meant to be critiquing this. And even when like Brianna's brother tells her, tells him about Helen at the beginning, he doesn't say it from like her perspective. Like she was somewhere she shouldn't have been. I thought that was supposed to be like, because no, everyone just like was hush hush about it for a long time. And then like, I was taken aback by like in the beginning when they started like telling bits of the candy maze. I'm like, that's not how it goes. Like, that's not how, how it is in the original. And I realized that it's like, Oh, that's how the fuck oral oral histories work. Everything gets muddled up and everybody remembers it wrong. And everybody like has a different version of what happened. So like the fact that they remember Helen in this way as a hero because it was completely warped and misinterpreted is also how people watch the movie. And then at the end, he's like, tell everyone. He's like initiating a new law. Burke has that one line where he's like, people only paid attention because a white woman died or something like that. And there is a commentary on like her, her place in this narrative for sure. But then at the same time, you do have that one line from Anthony's mother being like, oh, but she saved you. So I'm just like, which is it? Just remake the But thing. different people can view the situation differently. I think that's the, like, the point they were making is like when, when a story is 
oral and multifaceted and lost to time and it's all a telephone game that's what i thought was the point is that there are multiple perspectives and nobody really knows what happened anymore you're right but do i want this do i want to work for this no i just wanted a straight up movie about candy man coming back and killing like racist white people that's what i wanted and i didn't really we had to do a hop skip and a jump to get there and i I think it was hard. And I want an easy remake. Thank you very much. I would argue that in this one, even though like the way that it was marketed, I thought I was getting a horror film about gentrification and white people being on this ground where all this trauma happened. And then as resort experiencing violence, what I got was not what I was told I was getting. (laughs) I almost wish all the characters were white besides the like main ones. Yes, because my issue is at the end of the day, even despite the commentary on gentrification, it still looks like the black people got the shorter than the stick in them. (laughs) Still sucks. Still not giving me what I thought I was gonna get. The only white people who died in this movie are the people from the art gallery and the police. No, and those teenage girls who randomly say it in the bathroom. I think that was a cheap, that was a cheap shot. That was a cheap scene, a cheap scare. That was a cheap shot. And those are also still kids, so. You're right. The way that it was marketed before anybody saw it was that now Cabrini Green is gentrified. Only white people live here. And Candyman, as we remember him, still haunts the land and kills white people now. That is what we were sold. And I think had they told us that we that we we want to play with the lore, we want to do something more complicated, we want to give this nuance. It, like we were promised like a revenge fantasies last year. And that's not what was delivered. Was he killing the people? Was he killing the police officers because he is an agent of revenge? Or would he have also killed Brianna if she was standing outside the car? Why is he able to demonstrate the restraint to not kill Brianna? Because he's special. No, but why? Like, why didn't all the other victims who were Candyman have that power to restrain? He has a romantic relationship with Brianna. Like, that was his girlfriend. If it was a different person who he had no connection to, would we have seen the same thing? Like, perhaps they should have decided if they were going to go this route perhaps they should have did an one more scene of her getting away or jumping to a scene of someone else being in a situation and summoning Candyman and him acting as an agent of chaos and then bouncing off into the sunset or like giving a little nod so we know that he is specifically only going to kill racist people I liked the connection with Anthony. I did not. And maybe it's because I didn't like seeing Yaga suffer for being so fine. Yeah, they shouldn't have fucked with his face. Yeah, they should have kept him hot. But I liked the baby connection that he missed out on his opportunity to be sacrificed. Candyman was like, let's redo this. But like, why would he have been different? Why would he have been different? I, this is still not, this is the key thing of like, that's not fulfilled for me. Like why, like why do he have, he have some sense to not kill her? Yeah, like why does, why doesn't he kill, I don't want, I don't want him to kill black people, but why doesn't he kill black people? I think we're just suspending our disbelief on that one. But I refuse to do that. I'm kind of with Louisa in the fact that I just feel like they didn't clearly enough show me that he was not going to kill black people. I feel like they had a great number of things that they wanted to explore here, but they just did not have the time nor the, the writing to to explore them the right way. Like, I can't say I hate it because like it wasn't a terrible watch or anything. It wasn't like I walked away thinking it was a bad movie, but it was it didn't, to me, renew any of the mistakes from the first movie. All of this being said and done, I think it's a good sequel because I think it's hard. It was impossible. It was, they had an impossible task and I think they did the best they 
could have with the original material. My issue is that, like, straight up, I don't think it needed a sequel. I think it needed a remake. So, like, I was probably never gonna like all of the points. And like, you, like I, I agree that it did some things well, Zeba. I agree Tyler did, and Mila that did some things not so well. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know. We just have the same, we're just facing the same problem that we have with the original in some areas. And we keep hitting this fucking wall. Maybe we should just stop doing remakes and maybe we should just make new things. <laughs> you know what? Nostalgia's taken us to the end. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Monfem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, which is out.